Welcome to Chomping Down the Dietetic Exam, where I, Dietitian Faraz, and you, an awesome person, join forces to chomp down dietetic concepts into digestible bites and provide you with practice questions, rationales, and tips to conquer your dietetic exam, and you will conquer it because you are smart, you are skilled, and you got this. Hit it! everyone thank you for tuning in hope you're doing well and staying safe so before going into today's topics i got some really really exciting news i gotta share with you so over the years i've had a lot of podcast listeners and students ask me to develop a program that covers everything you need to know about the rd exam well guess what that's happened i've developed a program that's really focused on visual learning and this program consists of 17 video lectures that cover all four domains and every topic that's relevant to the rd exam these topics are covered with full explanations, tons of mnemonics, illustrations, animations, tables, and each video lecture also has a pre and post test and a super duper colorful set of corresponding notes. This full program is now available on our website at chompdowndietetics.com. Make sure to check out the program sneak peek video on the website's homepage and feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions. With that being said, let's get into it. How does the diet of a child with PKU differ from that of a child without PKU? A. The child with PKU has increased needs for exogenous glucose. B. Aspartame should be used instead of raw sugar for the child with PKU. C. The child with PKU must restrict phenylalanine and supplement tyrosine. D. The child with PKU has increased protein needs. We know the amino acid phenylalanine converts to tyrosine. This happens via the enzyme phenylalanine hydroxylase. In phenylketonuria, phenylalanine hydroxylase is compromised, and as a result, phenylalanine accumulates in the blood. We need tyrosine to create important neurotransmitters, and in PKU, there's a shortage of tyrosine. So as a result, there's a shortage in neurotransmitter activity. In addition, since there's so much phenylalanine accumulating, it takes up a lot of space in the transporter that carries it across the blood-brain barrier. This transporter is also used by other amino acids, which are also needed to create important neurotransmitters. So what ends up happening is the activity of multiple neurotransmitters is decreased and this is why you hear that brain development and function is compromised among people with pku now pku is a genetic disorder present at birth and can be detected via a guthrie test which essentially consists of pricking the heel of an infant to take a blood sample and performing a test on it to see if it contains high levels of phenylalanine with regards to medical nutrition therapy we recommend PKU patients to supplement with tyrosine and low phenylalanine formulas. In addition, to avoid accumulation of phenylalanine, 
we recommend adhering to a low protein, high carb diet. Now this can be tricky because it can lead to dental caries. A quick review of that process reveals that when we consume carbohydrates, a process is triggered that involves our mouth secreting acid and that acid can wear away at the enamel of teeth. The more carbohydrates, the more often this process is triggered to occur, the more likely dental caries will happen. Another recommendation is to avoid aspartame since it is a dipeptide consisting of aspartic acid and phenylalanine. Now that we've covered PKU, let's get back to our appetizer question. How does the diet of a child with PKU differ from that of a child without PKU? A. The child with PKU has increased needs for exogenous glucose. B. Aspartame should be used instead of raw sugar for the child with PKU. C. The child with PKU must restrict phenylalanine and supplement tyrosine. D. The child with PKU has increased protein needs. So let's start with A. The child with PKU has increased needs for exogenous glucose. So exogenous glucose is not relevant to PKU. It is more relevant to something like glycogen liver storage disease, where there is a deficiency of glucose 6-phosphate in the liver, which impairs gluconeogenesis and glycogenolysis and increases the dietary need for exogenous glucose. So we can safely eliminate this as an answer choice. Let's move on to B. Aspartame should be used instead of raw sugar for the child with PKU. So we recommend to avoid aspartame since it is a dipeptide consisting of aspartic acid and phenylalanine. So using aspartame instead of sugar would be contraindicated. So we can eliminate this as an answer choice. How about C? The child with PKU must restrict phenylalanine and supplement tyrosine. This seems like a strong contender for the correct answer since in PKU, there's a shortage of tyrosine. So we recommend PKU patients to supplement with tyrosine and there can be an accumulation of phenylalanine. So we recommend patients to restrict phenylalanine. Let's pocket this answer and move on to D. The child with PKU has increased protein needs. Since PKU involves an accumulation of phenylalanine and phenylalanine is found in protein foods, we recommend adhering to a low protein, high carb diet. There really aren't increased protein needs, but rather there is an increased need to avoid phenylalanine. So we can eliminate this answer as well. And that leaves us with C, the child with PKU must restrict phenylalanine and supplement tyrosine. And that is indeed the correct answer. All right, let's move on to our next appetizer question. Here we go. A study is being conducted examining marital status and level of happiness with the scale ranging from 1 to 5, with 5 being extremely happy to 1 being extremely unhappy. Which of the following would be an example of an ordinal variable? A, marital status. B, level of happiness. C, both marital status and level of happiness. D, none of the choices listed. So as I explain these concepts, I'll be using the words variable, scale, data interchangeably. And we're going to be focusing on nominal, the word nominal. It's really 
talking about the most basic level of measurement. Nominal variables name attributes that are being measured. There's no order attached to nominal variables. They're simply categories. The word nominal actually comes from the Latin word nomen, which means name. Also, in Hindi, the word nam means name. So, when you see the word nominal, think of naming because that is what you're doing when you're using nominal variables. You are naming attributes that are being measured. The way you order attributes to be measured does not signify which attribute is better than the other. This is an important distinction. You literally just name stuff with no particular meaningful order. An example of nominal variables is color. You can have red, green, yellow, you can have all these colors, but if you write them down, they're just names and the order you put them in doesn't have any meaning on their own merit. If you write down red first and then blue after that, it doesn't mean red is better than blue. The colors themselves on their own merit do not posit any meaning in the way that they are arranged. So one nominal variable is not any better or worse than another nominal variable. They are simply names. In other words, there's no higher or lower ranking with these nominal variables. You also can't say that, well, we asked six people which color they liked the most, and three people said yellow, and three people said red. So, the average favorite color is orange. You can't say that. So, finding a mean with nominal variables is not common, an average, a mean. Other examples of nominal variables include sex, gender, marital status, blood type, pregnancy status, these are all nominal variables. Ordinal variables are an extension of nominal variables in that they are also named. However, the order that you put them in does have meaning. There is higher or lower ranking with these. The way you order attributes to be measured does signify which attribute is better than the other. However, you cannot tell how much an attribute is better than the other. Let's use an example. Let's say we are asked to rank most liked foods from one to three, with one being the most liked food, two being a medium liked food, three being the get this out of my face food. We have three choices, pizza, fried chicken, broccoli. Now, personally, I would rank fried chicken at one, pizza at two, and broccoli at three. So these are ordinal variables because the order that I just put them in do have meaning, and there is a higher and lower ranking involved here. However, we can't really tell how much higher or lower the liking of these foods are because... Even though I put fried chicken as my top choice and pizza is my second choice, honestly, I like both foods pretty similarly. Like, if you told me, hey, we ran out of fried chicken, but we have pizza, I'm not going to riot. I'll feel bamboozled, but I'll still happily eat the pizza. 
So the difference between my liking for fried chicken and pizza is relatively small. However, seeing broccoli really bums me out. Can't stand broccoli. I would rather be called a dietary than eat broccoli. Yeah, I know. So even though broccoli is ranked after pizza in my rankings, the difference between my liking for pizza and my liking for broccoli is huge. Compare that to the difference in my liking for fried chicken and my liking for pizza, which is small. So there's inconsistency in between attributes. This is why you cannot tell how much an attribute is better than the other. All you can do with ordinal variables is say that an attribute is better or worse than another based on how you rank them. The difference between attributes is not always equal. Another example of this is a race. You could have first, second, third place in a race. And let's say a race resulted in first and second place being only separated by 10 seconds, whereas second and third place was separated by 50 seconds. Even though the rankings are first, second, and third, there's inconsistency in between the rankings in terms of how far apart they are in time. Other examples of ordinal variables could be stages of pressure ulcers or stages of diseases in general, Likert scales, and the most important example, Yelp ratings. Now, you can have situations where you have both nominal and ordinal variables. For example, let's say we ask people what state they live in and what their level of satisfaction is regarding where they live on a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being extremely unsatisfied to 10 being extremely satisfied. The part regarding asking where people live would be nominal because it would just involve names of states and any order we put them in wouldn't mean anything. One state would not be better or worse than the other. The part regarding rating level of satisfaction, that is ordinal because the order of the data matters and a rating of 10, for example, is considered higher than a rating of 9. So the way you order attributes to be measured does signify which attribute is better than the other. Now that we have established nominal and ordinal variables, let's go back to our appetizer question. A study is being conducted examining marital status and level of happiness with the scale ranging from 1 to 5, with 5 being extremely happy to 1 being extremely unhappy. Which of the following would be an example of an ordinal variable? A. Marital status. B. Level of happiness. C. Both marital status and level of happiness. D. None of the choices listed. So let's start with A. Marital status. Naturally, the categories with marital status would be married or unmarried. If these two choices were presented on a form, would the way they're ordered signify being married is better than being unmarried or vice versa? No, it doesn't matter if you put married first or unmarried first. The order in which they are presented 
does not indicate superiority on their own merit, regardless of what people's personal opinion may be. So marital status is a nominal variable. How about B, level of happiness? So if the one to five scale of happiness was presented on a form, would the way that the categories are ordered signify anything? Yes, because the order of the data matters and a rating of five, extremely happy, is considered higher than a rating of four, three, two, and one. So the way you order attributes to be measured does signify which attribute is better than the other. This is a strong contender for the correct answer. Let's move on to C, both marital status and level of happiness. We can eliminate this because we already established A is a nominal variable, not an ordinal one. So that's eliminated. How about D? None of the choices listed. Well, we have a strong indicator that level of happiness is an ordinal variable. So we can eliminate this answer choice as well, leaving us with B, level of happiness, which is indeed the correct answer. All right, let's move right along to our last appetizer question. Here we go. A cook is preparing dinner for 15 people at a party. Nine of these people are dietitians. The cook just grilled a steak and checked its temperature, which was 168.4 degrees. Which of the following represents a continuous variable in this scenario? A, the number of people at the party. B, the temperature of the steak. C, the number of dietitians. D, none of the choices listed. So, according to the English dictionary, discrete refers to being individually separate and distinct. And that is exactly what we're dealing with in discrete data because it is bound to a countable, distinctive, finite set of values or categories within a range. There is no gray area in between discrete values. In a sense, discrete data is restricted to a certain amount of values or categories within a range. For example, if there are five people and you want to make two groups out of these people, you can't say both groups will have two and a half people. That's ludicrous. Either group will have either two people or three people because humans are counted as whole entities because we are separate and distinct. We are unique. We are all snowflakes, right? Another example is let's say you're going to flip a coin three times. If you're looking at specifically how many times the coin flips to tails, it'll be either one, two, or three times. Not 1.7 times or 2.84 times. So each outcome of a coin flip is separate and distinct. Generally, if you were asked how many of X, Y, and Z there is, you were referring to discrete data. Continuous data does not have the same restrictions as discrete data. It can take on any value within a range. There is gray area between continuous values. The number of possibilities for a continuous measurement 
within an interval is infinite and divisible. For example, height of a human being. Humans fall within a general range of height, and if you say you are, for example, 5 foot 10 inches, that's cool. However, you can technically add to that and say you are 5 foot 10.2 inches to be exact, if you want to be annoying. You can even break that down more in terms of another decimal and say you are 5 foot 10.24 inches if you want to reach level 2 annoyance, and so on and so forth. There is technically no limit to the amount of precision that you can apply to height. With regards to social decorum, however, if someone asks us our height, we typically say this many feet, this many inches. We don't say we are, for example, 5 foot 10.24341 inches because nobody has time for that. Same can be said for temperature, weight, speed, distance, anything that takes specific measurement. The fact that in continuous data that we can be so precise and have so much freedom in expressing values while still making sense is what distinguishes continuous data from discrete data which, as we previously established, does not have that same freedom. Generally, if you can divide something or put a bunch of decimals after it and it still makes sense, and you need a measuring device for it, you are referring to continuous data. Consider this example combining both. If you are driving, you're either driving below the speed limit, within the speed limit, or above the speed limit. If an officer pulls you over, they will say you were either speeding or not speeding, and they will either give you a speeding ticket or not give you a speeding ticket. All of these parameters would be examples of discrete data because there's a finite amount of possibilities among them, and there's no gray area in between these possibilities. The officer won't say, well, you were kind of like speeding, so I'm going to kind of give you this ticket. The officer won't say that, right? Now, the speed at which you were driving, however, what would that be? That would be continuous data. Because even though traditionally the speed at which you're driving is represented by whole numbers in your car or a speed radar gun, technically... Speed can be broken down to an infinite amount of decimals. So if your car says you're going 95 miles per hour, that 95 is an estimate. It is most likely not a true depiction that you are driving at exactly 95 miles per hour. You are most likely driving at something like 95.47 miles per hour at the time of the measurement and a more precise measuring tool would reveal that. Speed is a continuous variable because it can take on an infinite amount of values within a range. With that being said, let's go back to our appetizer question. A cook is preparing dinner for 15 people at a party. None of these people are dietitians. The cook just grilled a steak and checked its temperature, which was 168.4 degrees, which of the following represents a continuous variable in this scenario? A, the number of people at the party. B, the temperature of the steak. 
C, the number of dietitians. D, none of the choices listed. So let's start with A, the number of people at the party. We already established that generally, if you are asking how many of XYZ there are, you are referring to discrete data. And the verbiage that clues us into this is the number of and then whatever follows after that. Also, discrete data is restricted to a finite amount of values or categories within a range. So we can't have decimals of humans. So we can eliminate this answer. And using this logic, we can also eliminate C, the number of dietitians. That leaves us with B and D. Let's start with B, the temperature of the steak. This looks like a strong contender for a continuous variable because temperature is taken with a measurement device and you can have an infinite amount of values within a range. So the state can be 168.4 degrees with one thermometer, but an even more precise thermometer might read it as 168.42 degrees and so on and so forth. So let's pocket this answer and move on to D. None of the choices listed. Well, we just established that letter B sounds like a solid answer choice. So we can eliminate this answer choice, D, and go with B, which is indeed the correct answer because temperature of a steak is a continuous variable. All right, that's a wrap for today's episode. Remember to check us out on chompdowndietetics.com where we have our program that covers all relevant topics on the RD exam with video lectures and colorful notes. You can also hit us up on our socials, which are listed in the episode descriptions. And this is where you can request topics and just let us know how you're doing with your exam journeys. With that being said, I will catch you later. Bye-bye.